My mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite movies of all time is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Is anyone with me on that? Have you all seen it? Okay, good. We have some, we have some true believers over here. It's a great movie. Who doesn't love Indiana Jones? That fourth movie, well, maybe it doesn't really count, but the first three are just spectacular. And there's that scene toward the end of the movie. Indy has just followed the quest to find the Holy Grail, the cup that Jesus used, the chalice that he used at the Last Supper. And he has discovered the location, the final resting place of the Holy Grail. And he's followed, of course, by the the antagonists, who are the Nazis in this case, and their leader who wants to take the power of the Grail for himself. So what they find in the final resting place in this scene is there's a knight who's guarded the uh, Holy Grail for 700 years. And he's filled this room where the Grail is with dozens, if not hundreds, of other chalices. And the challenge is, for the person who's found the final resting place of the Grail, is they must now choose which of all of these chalices is, in fact, the true Holy Grail. Well, Donovan, the antagonist, chooses what he thinks is a cup that is fitting of the King of Kings. He drinks from it and then immediately dies. And the knight says, you chose poorly. A bit of an understatement if there ever was one. So now it's Indiana's choice. And so he looks about and he fumbles about and he finally keeps his eyes on a small, humble chalice very small and wooden, and he says, this is the cup of a carpenter. This is what the Holy Grail would be. He takes a drink. We wait with bated breath to see if he will, the same fate will befall him. And the knight says, you have chosen wisely. And he goes on and saves the day. So is that all there is to wisdom? The ability to make a right decision? Well, yes, that's part of what it means to be wise and to have wisdom. Knowing the difference between good and evil is part of what true wisdom is. Indeed, Solomon himself asks for that in our reading from the First Testament, where he says, give me the knowledge between good and evil that I may lead your people. Now, I don't know about you, but if God came to me in a dream and says, you can have anything you want, I'll have to admit, I don't think wisdom would probably be the first thing on my list. But Solomon wisely chooses. He chooses wisdom. And so God says, because you have chosen wisely, I will give you all the things that you didn't ask for. Power, fame, fortune. Solomon could have chosen anything, but he chooses wisdom. God gives him this gift. And so I want to this morning reflect on what is wisdom And why it is important for us in our walk with Jesus. First of all, it's important, I think, to start with what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not intelligence. It's something completely different. Wisdom is not about book smarts. It's not about emotional intelligence or social intelligence. Or many of the other different kind of intelligences that there there are. Wisdom cannot be measured by how many degrees you have. Wisdom cannot be measured by the score of your IQ. 
Wisdom is not the same thing you could say as book smarts or people smarts. Rather, in the scriptural sense, wisdom is about knowledge, but it's about a very specific type of knowledge. Wisdom is about the knowledge of God. But again, this is not the kind of knowledge that's gained by reading books, with one exception, of course, that being the Holy Scriptures. Rather, wisdom is born of the kind of knowledge that comes out of a relationship. Wisdom is about relationship. Specifically, a relationship with God. Indeed, Solomon himself indicates as much as this in the book of Proverbs, where he writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now perhaps this is still a bit too theoretical, too philosophical. So I'll boil it down as simply and as clearly as I can. What is wisdom? Not the right question. Rather, the question is, who is wisdom? And of course, the answer to this is Jesus Christ. Jesus is wisdom in the flesh, as the words of um, St. Paul in the book of Colossians tell us. So if wisdom is about a relationship and wisdom is Jesus Christ, then wisdom comes from being in relationship with Jesus. The ancient Greeks developed what we know as the Western school of philosophy. Philosophy literally means the love of Sophia or the love of wisdom. So if philosophy is the love of wisdom, then the truest and purest form of philosophy is seeking and knowing the love of Jesus. At one point in my life, I fancied myself a bit of a philosopher, but not in this sense of the word, but in the classic sense of the word. I studied philosophy in all the great philosophers of the Western tradition. And what I came to the conclusion at the end of my studies is that there was always something missing. That it didn't no matter how much and I could understand and how much I read, this wasn't a full sense of what it meant to be wise. Because love of wisdom in its true and fullest sense is really in the end a love for Jesus. This means that even the most ardent secularist and even the most diehard atheist, if they are earnestly seeking the truth, then in the end they are seeking after Jesus. But just don't go tell them that. You might get a little smack in the face. But it may remains true that the search for truth and goodness and beauty are in the end a search for God. And this means that as our love for Jesus grows, our wisdom will deepen as we become more intimate and more close with God, as we walk in fellowship and communion with Him. So this means that the wisest people in the world are not the most learned. The wisest people in the world are those who have a close and intimate relationship with Jesus. You see, wisdom, as I've said, is about relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, who is wisdom in the flesh, in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, who makes possible this relationship and sustains it. So this means that true wisdom is also knowing things as they stand in relation to God. This means that if you can know something, or if you claim to know something adequately, and that you claim that this knowledge is completely separate from referring it to God, then you are on the road to what we could call worldly wisdom. The claim that we can know our world in, without referencing God is worldly wisdom. Because the wisdom of the world insists that things can be known, and that they can be understood, and they can be done so apart from God. The wisdom of the world tells us that relationship with God is for those kind of religious folks 
who are easily deluded into fanciful religions. And it's okay, but as long as they keep that religion to their private lives, then we can get along in the world. In the end, worldly wisdom is fundamentally saying no to God, to turning our backs to him and refusal to see that he is the one that holds all things together. The result of this is a distortion of God's wisdom into worldly wisdom. And this began, of course, all way back in the beginning. The serpent promised that Adam and Eve would become wise. They would become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, if they ate the forbidden fruit. And of course, seeing that the fruit was good for obtaining wisdom, a laudable goal, Adam and Eve take the fruit and eat of it. But at that moment, the, pro- the promised wisdom was, in a sense, poisoned by their insistence that they could take the fruit and eat it on their own terms, that they could disobey God's command not to eat. You see, Adam and Eve wanted to know the difference between good and evil so that they could determine for themselves what was good and evil, so they could, in the words of our culture, live their own truth. You see, they wanted to live apart from God's ways and God's gifts and to live life on their own terms. That, they said, is true wisdom. But wisdom is a gift given by God on God's terms. It is not something that can be taken or possessed as if it's owed to us, as if it's something that we can take on our own. The story of Adam and Eve confirms for us that when wisdom is taken, it it becomes distorted because it is taken outside of a relationship with God. We cannot know things outside a reference to God. And so one of the immediate effects of the fall is that Adam and Eve are banished from paradise. They are no longer able to walk in close and intimate fellowship with God. Their relationship with God is ripped apart. So it makes sense that God would offer the antidote to worldly wisdom in the same form in which the original poison was ingested. God offers the antidote to worldly wisdom by offering us the Eucharist. In our gospel reading for today, Jesus says, I am the living bread. In the Eucharist, we are offered this living bread, the means of grace by which God restores himself to fellowship, intimate fellowship and communion with his beloved people. Let's think of it in terms of the liturgy. After we receive God's word of judgment and mercy in the Holy Scriptures, we offer our prayers and petitions to God, And then we confess our tendency to follow the ways of worldly wisdom. In so doing, when we confess, we confess that living our truth is more damaging to us than we care to admit, that it's more damaging to our relationships than we want to realize. But having confessed our refusal of God, we then receive God's unconditional forgiveness, and we seek to embody our desire for reconciliation with each other, in the passing of the peace. It is then that we prepare to receive the living bread offered to us in the Eucharist, where we prepare to meet, where we prepare to receive God's wisdom given to us in Jesus Christ. The Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life because it undoes the poison of worldly wisdom. It provides us with the true wisdom of God, the wisdom who is Jesus Christ. The Eucharist is a restoration of our communion and our relationship with God. We are brought back into intimate fellowship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
So therefore, to participate in the Eucharist is to receive this living bread, to taste the wisdom of God, to be reminded that the wisdom of the world will always leave us hungry and that it is always foolishness to God. But the wisdom of God is life and health to all who receive it and all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So when it all comes down to it, when it comes down to understanding God's wisdom, there are four things to remember. First, Jesus Christ is God's wisdom in the flesh. Second, wisdom is a gift that is given to us by God. Third, wisdom is rooted in a relationship with Jesus. And fourth, wisdom can be cultivated and nurtured as we grow in our love of God. Solomon started out well in seeking wisdom, but his own life bore out that he too fell prey to worldly wisdom as he began to believe his own press, as he began to grow in fame and fortune and power and might. Solomon, forgot to ne- he, Solomon neglected to develop that intimacy with God. Solomon forgot to nurture wisdom. So wo- how do we cultivate and nurture wisdom? Well, I think St. James says it best in his epistle, where he says this, Are any of you wise and understanding? Show it. Show, your wisdom that your, show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is born of humility. And then St. James goes on to explain that wisdom from God is pure and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. This is what wisdom looks like, a life that embodies the way of Jesus Christ. The pull of worldly wisdom is strong, and the echo of the serpent's voice continues to echo today. And this is why from the earliest times our forebears in the faith encouraged Jesus' apprentices to create a rule of life, as we've done as a parish family. A rule of life helps us to root and to direct our lives toward God's wisdom. It helps us to loosen the influence and the pull of worldly wisdom in our lives. So my brothers and sisters, the question to us this morning is this. Do you love wisdom? Do you love Jesus? Are you seeking to be a true philosopher, a true lover of wisdom, a true lover of Jesus Christ? Are you earnestly seeking a deep and intimate relationship with him? And are you willing to dedicate and rededicate your life to following him and learning from his ways? This is not an easy task, and the wisdom of the world tells us it is foolishness. But for those who seek and believe, it is health and salvation. May you always seek and may you always find God's wisdom revealed to us in Jesus Christ. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.